Hey, what is going on? Welcome to this episode number 106 of Life and Lessons. This week, you're going to hear a conversation I had with Patrick Foster. For 12 years, Patrick lived a secret second life. To his friends and family, he was a happy, successful teacher, but behind the scenes, Patrick was battling a gambling addiction. It's one that would eventually cost him over £4 million, cost him his job, and almost cost him his life. In the next hour, you're going to learn how an innocent hobby can turn into an all-consuming addiction, the bet that changed Patrick's life forever, and why winning £35,000 was one of the worst things that could possibly have happened to him, how it feels to gamble more than £4 million, borrow money, and eventually be found out, how Patrick managed to step away from his addiction and enter recovery, and so much more. This is an interesting and a really important conversation. Patrick's willingness to open up, to be honest and raw about his story, not only shines a light on just how serious problem gambling can be, but he proves that recovery is possible. So give this one a listen and make sure that you share it with anybody who you think would benefit from this conversation once you're finished. But just before then, one quick thing. If you're not already, make sure that you're subscribed to Life and Lessons on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or whatever it is you're listening to this right now. I know I say this a lot, but there really are so many more great conversations just like this one coming your way this year, and I don't want you to miss them. But in the meantime, here it is. Episode number 106 of Life and Lessons with Patrick Foster. Patrick Foster, thank you for being here. It's a pleasure. Thanks very much for having me on. Uh, I'm really excited to chat today. You've just released a new book all about gambling, but that's not where I want to start today because although gambling has been a big part of your life for many years, there was inevitably a point where you hadn't gambled, right? Before any of this started, before you stepped foot in a bookmaker's or whatever it might be. So take me to that period in your life. Yeah, I was very fortunate in my upbringing, uh, my background. Uh, I was very lucky, uh, well-educated. I went to one of the kind of leading independent boarding schools in the country. I was given every opportunity you could possibly imagine. Um, And I had one real kind of passion or ambition in life, and that was to become a professional sportsman. Um, That was all I wanted to do. And fortunately for me, I had some ability in that area. Um, And when I was 15 years old, I was given the opportunity to kind of pursue a life um, as a young professional cricketer. Um, I was part of an academy. I combined my studies with preparing for a life in professional cricket. And when I left school, uh, I left home and and I started to play cricket for a living. And and that's what I thought and hoped I'd go on to do uh, for the rest of my life. And, And as you say, at that point, gambling didn't feature in any way shape or form Uh, and that would change um, when I went to university in in 2006. And so talk me through that I've read the story it's one that I'm sure many people can relate to you're 19 years old I think it is and you're hungover it's one of those days where you just don't really want to do anything meaningful and your friends suggest that you come to the bookies with them somewhere you had never stepped foot in before tell me about that first experience. Yeah, um, it was exactly that, really. It was a first experience. The only kind of exposure I'd ever had to gambling, like a lot of people, was once a year on a day, the horse race called the Grand National. And uh, my dad would put a small bet on for each member of the family. We'd do a sweepstake. We'd sit around, we'd watch TV. 
minus fall at the first hurdle and I think what's the point in that and and that's kind of what gambling was for me um and then when I got to university of course you you meet different people who who have been exposed to it who uh, had done it previously and and as you just said one Saturday morning um as a student in October in Durham we didn't have much else to do I was a bit hungover and some guys said that they were off into town to do this and I thought, why not? Let's go and see what this is all about. And I followed them into the shop. And at that point, I didn't really know what I was letting myself in for. Obviously, I I walked in and it was kind of a whole new world, really. Um, It appealed to me instantly because there was kind of sport all over the TV and and people milling around. And there was a real sort of buzz in there. Um, And I just watched at first. Um, And then I stepped foot on a on a fob t machine or a fixed odds betting terminal um, and i placed my first bet which was on a roulette machine and uh as they say the rest is history so i, I remember reading that uh before you went on to that fixed odd betting terminal machine you saw uh a bloke i assume get annoyed of it he had lost his money he stormed out do you ever, given the, the 12 years that unfolded after that um, and the, the kind of darker side of gambling that you have seen firsthand, do you ever think about that man and think what situation he might have been in um, as he stormed away? Yeah, I do, to be honest. Um, I mean, I try not to have too many what ifs, uh, if onlys and, and think about that sort of thing. But actually, when I when I think back to it, I think he probably was possibly going through something similar to what I was it might not have been as bad as as it got for me but I think he was probably uh, had a very good reason for reacting in the way that he did and and actually wind the clock forward a bit I reacted in that way on on many occasions so yeah it's um it's strange to think of it like that but certainly uh, I think the case so he had just lost his money, but this time you've stepped in, you've won some money. I believe it was um, zero. You put your money on. How did that feel that first time when you had that rush of, wow, I'm I'm winning? Yeah, it's, it's extraordinary really to try and articulate it because I'd obviously never had that feeling before. And the strangest thing about it is I never had it again. And I think what's one of the weirdest things about a gambling addiction is you're almost trying to chase that elusive feeling that you got from winning that first bet and you can never replicate it and of course if I'd known that things might have been different but it's it was like nothing else Uh, as I always say the fact that kind of everybody gave me a reaction did nothing for my already sizable ego and uh, I don't think that helped the matter Um, but yeah it was certainly a feeling that that as I say, I've, I've never had since. And so let's let's wind the clock forward a little bit. I'm sure that we're going to jump over several years in my next question, but you take a job in the city um, and you get a pay rise and you're about to place a really substantial bet relative to what you've done in the past. But just before we go on to that, what's the, what's the middle ground between that, that first ever bet and that, that life-changing bet, which eventually came in for you? Yeah. It's interesting because I think actually for for a, for a while, whilst I was at university, it was actually what gambling should be um, in the sense that it was fun. It was a form of entertainment. It was something that I did with my mates. I won, I lost. It was exciting. The money that I was losing wasn't huge sums of money. It was 
money I could afford to lose because obviously I was in a fortunate position being paid to play cricket. Um, I guess I would caveat that by saying there were still times where I was doing it more than I should have been and the secrecy started to creep in because I'd go to the bookies with my mates and then a couple of hours later I'd find myself back there without them and I'd never tell anybody that I did that. But still it wasn't sort of, um, it didn't feel like it was totally out of control. Um, That was certainly the first year at university. Obviously, by the time the second year came round, cricket had unfortunately not worked out for me. And I found that really difficult. And of course, what that left was a bit of a, a void in my life because I didn't have the same focus, motivation. I also had a lot more time on my hands and I started to do it more and more. But again, I don't think it was it was having a significantly negative effect on my mental health. It was obviously taking up some of my time, but I was still getting done what I needed to. And, and financially, I wasn't in any debt or, or any bother, really. But I was always kind of aware that this is something that I seem to be obsessed with uh, and I seem to be doing doing it an awful lot and probably more than, than most people. Um, but I don't think at that point I was addicted, if you like. Um, it was something that I was pretty hooked on almost from the first time I did it. But I felt like at any point, if I really needed to at that point, I could have stopped if I'd wanted to. I just didn't want to at that point. As you were, uh, I guess, moving further and further into the world of gambling, before you got to a point where you had a realization that actually, I think I might be hooked on this. Did you ever kind of stop and check yourself and think, actually, I think I might be heading towards this? Were there any feelings of uncertainty or doubt in your, you say your ability to stop, but of course there was, it's a blurry line, right? You don't know exactly when the moment you crossed from, I enjoy this to addiction, but before you think you crossed that line, did you ever look forward and think actually this, this could get messy? I've always had a, a kind of very addictive personality. I'm very obsessive, very compulsive. Uh, and it kind of was the same with any addictive substance or behavior. I was somebody who kind of did it um, to excess. It was always naught to 60 very quickly for me. So in, my, in the back of my mind, I always knew that there was a chance that might be the case. But I think when you're young, you kind of think, well, it won't be me that gets myself into that mess it won't happen to me but also I'm kind of big enough and strong enough that if I need to I'll stop and and of course um I learned the hard way that that's not the case um but yeah I think there were definitely a few warning signs because there were times where I would lose significant amounts of money relatively at university and then my sole ambition would be to try and get out of that. And at times it became sort of quite stressful. It would take up a lot of time. And on those occasions, more often than not, I managed to have the luck that I needed to get myself out of there, but not before I'd been through quite a process. So I think that gave away, um, that was a few telltale signs that actually this could become a problem if I'm not careful. And, and of course, easy to say now but I'd wish I'd I'd kind of um acted on those a bit more than I than I obviously did so you use an interesting word there which is luck um I'm going to ask a, a two-pronged 
question, I guess. At the time, did you believe that winning or losing in gambling was down to luck or skill? And what's your opinion on that now? Yeah, I mean, I think there was a lot of luck involved, particularly in some of the games. Um, things like roulette, I, I always realised that there was um, a significant element of chance. Um, that said, like a lot of gambling addicts and actually a lot of people that, that do it a lot, I had all sorts of theories. I thought I could beat the system. I thought I knew what number came up after other numbers. Uh, and of course, when that does it does happen, it convinces you even more that you, you're kind of cleverer than the system. And of course, you're not. Um, I guess with some other elements of gambling, for instance, something like horse racing or sports betting, you can sort of study the form. You can go on knowledge, information. And, and so for, for certain elements, I always believe that actually there was a bit more skill involved and, and you could be more calculated and you could work out actually what are good odds and what aren't. Um, of course, now I realize that actually it's not weighted in your favor um, in any way. Uh, I realized that you don't get too many poor bookmakers um, and there's a reason that the gambling industry is successful as it is. Um, so, yeah, I think I've probably learned that actually there are things probably not in your favor that you think are. Um, but when you're young, you, you kind of think you're invincible. And um, as I allude to in, in my book and as I kind of am, am fairly honest about now, I think I w was sort of complacent and, and almost arrogant. And, and you think, well... I'm better than this. And, and actually, I clearly wasn't. When it came to the sports betting, do you think that having been inside a professional sports team as a professional sports person, do you think that that left you more pre-exposed to think that you were, I guess, above average in knowledge of sports and therefore able to, for want of a better phrase, game the system? Yeah, definitely. I think you, you feel like you've got that kind of um, heightened knowledge or you you know more than most people uh certainly that was the case with with sports um and and also i think you couple that with that kind of very competitive nature that that i've always had which is what actually made me very successful and very high achieving when i was younger but i always say made me very bad at gambling because there was a refusal I've always been a very bad loser. And when I gambled, there was a kind of refusal to accept that I'd lost. Uh, and I wouldn't stop until I won. And then obviously you think when you've won, well, I'll stop now. But of course, you love that feeling so much. It makes you sort of feel big about yourself that you go again. Um, so I think coupled, put those things together is what probably made it a kind of match made in heaven or, or hell, depending on which way you look at it. Now, I'll be honest, I've never played cricket. I couldn't even tell you the rules of cricket. But do you get the same buzz or did you get the same buzz back then from actually playing sports as you did from gambling? I guess where I'm going with this is when the cricket career ended, did gambling almost feel that, that buzz of competitiveness and the need to be actively involved in something that has a binary outcome? Yeah, I think it definitely played its part. Um, we, I talk now a lot about kind of buzz replication. And when I was playing sport, you kind of get that 
instant response, instant reaction to things, uh, that feeling of, of taking a wicket or hitting a six or whatever it might be. And it, it kind of gives you exactly that, that, that feeling. And, and gambling was the closest thing I could find to, to replicate that. Um, and it's interesting, you, you wind the clock forward a huge amount of time. And I look at my recovery now, which I'm sure we might touch on. Actually, that's one of the ways that I um, kind of have replaced gambling was to almost flip it on its head and go back to doing those things because realize that they're kind of healthy coping mechanisms or, or ways of getting that feeling, which gambling really wasn't for me. So let's jump forward to your time in the city um, and that big first bet. Tell me about the £500 bet that you placed. Yeah, I put um, a football accumulator on um, one Wednesday evening. It was the Champions League. I just received some good news at, at work and uh, I was obviously feeling quite pleased myself. I'd just been given a load of money that I didn't feel like I ne- needed at the time. Um, I was always somebody who, when I, I gambled on football, I used to love football accumulators. And yeah, I put a six-fold football accumulator on um, in three of the matches. I think both teams had to score a goal. One match, there was a, one of the favourites had to lose at quite high odds. and Two matches had to be a draw. I put £500 on this because, as I said, I was feeling quite pleased with myself. And uh, yeah, um, I went upstairs out of the betting shop into a bar, started getting drunk with my mates. And, and I guess 90 minutes later, um, £500 became the best part of £35,000. And yeah, life certainly changed from that moment onwards uh, in a very significant way. And in that exact moment, as precise down to the second as you can remember of the actual moment when you saw that all six games had come in, what was that feeling? The feeling was extraordinary. Um, I think one of the strangest things about it, and it's really hard to articulate, but I was obviously so happy, so pleased with myself, but yet something told me that I couldn't outwardly celebrate it. I didn't want to let on that this had happened. I needed to keep it secret. And of course I did. I didn't tell anybody. And yet you think actually, if you put yourself in my shoes, you'd think you'd be running around the bar, screaming, shouting, showing, telling everybody. So it's really strange because it it did give me a feeling like nothing else. But at the same time, I just didn't tell anybody. I didn't let on and people wouldn't have had a clue. Um, And that in itself is in itself is is kind of really strange um and i guess should have told me something there and then but you you, i just didn't think of it that way so it's really interesting you touch on that because something i picked up on throughout your story is uh, the kind of to hide something bad is quite easy right it's human nature that we're fairly good at hiding bad things but how did it feel to hide good news time and time and time again when things went your way because it was almost a a doorway into revealing this this worse bad news does that make sense not only suppressing bad news which is easy but having to suppress good news countless times yeah it's um it is strange and and most people who gamble are very good at telling you when they win um, and obviously it wasn't something that, that I did and it was difficult. 
But as you say, it, it was because I thought, well, that might be the way that I get found out. That might be the way that people start to question or or work out that I'm doing it way more than I, I should be or they thought I was. But the other thing that is, is strange about my relationship with gambling, which isn't the same for everybody, but it's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm so passionate about talking about it because in my mind and in a lot of people's mind but in my mind particularly gambling carried this stigma which was that it is it is very bad that you shouldn't be doing it and and so it was almost like well I'm I'm even if I do it and I'm successful and I win I'm not going to tell people because I shouldn't be doing it or I think it's bad and and that's what made it so difficult for me to reveal it in in any way, whether I won, I lost, whether things were going well or badly. That tainted view of how you won this money, do you think that is one of the reasons that you were so happy to not settle at that point and to just put it back into this system? Because uh, to settle would almost be to accept that you had succumbed to something that you saw as bad. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that that was absolutely sort of motivation for, for keeping on doing it. Um, but also at that point, I think my mindset changed a little bit with gambling because I thought to myself, well, actually, I can become rich quickly from this and I can make serious money. Um, and of course, now you learn that actually the best thing I could have ever done at that point was get out and never do it again, invest it in a house or something um, a lot more meaningful, but that's easy to, to say now. Um, but actually, that was when, yeah, psychologically, I thought, okay, well, I want to get, I want to make a lot of money quickly. Gambling can, can kind of fast track that process alongside uh, my professional life. And uh, of course, that didn't happen. So in retrospect, you say in the book that the the £35,000 winnings from that bet almost changed your life again because the stakes were suddenly so much higher and to replicate the rush of winning, you were chasing that next £35,000. If that £500 bet didn't come in that day, do you think your life would have gone on a path of, oh, okay, well, I'll carry on with small bets or was it just a matter of time until a big one came in and that's what set off the chain reaction? It's a very good question. Uh, I think the 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 interesting thing for me is I think if I had never had a really big win I don't think it would have ended up like it did because I think for me that was what gave me that feeling of kind of invincibility the belief that it would happen all the time the fact that actually I always say it now became like a drug because I was I wanted to win that amount of money every time I had a bet Whereas actually, if that hadn't have happened, it, it may have either even taken me a lot longer to get to that point or it would have never have happened. And and I think most people who end up having a gambling addiction do have that huge win at some point. Um, and so, I mean, I can't say I wouldn't have become a gambling addict because I might well have done it, but I, I certainly think things would have panned out differently and and if I'd got to the point that I did it would have taken a lot longer for it to happen I think this acted as a kind of catalyst just to accelerate the process in a way that is almost unbelievable 
And so £35,000 in your bank, you begin gambling that money bit by bit. Um, I guess two questions here, which I think are quite interesting. Number one, were you keeping a check on that £35,000 as if that was real money or because you started at 500 was that 34500 give or take kind of almost not real money if that makes sense and then on top of that when that 35000 was gone how did that feel exactly that i kind of thought well i've got that money i can gamble with it now and if i lose it it doesn't matter because i'm back where i started and if i win more with it then brilliant um and actually overnight what happened is that it started, I started to put much more significant bets on everything that I was doing. And that, as I say, changed overnight. Um, When it had gone, it didn't feel like that at all. Although it felt like that when I won it, when it was gone, it was like, well, actually, that was money that I had that I could have done something with. And I think the bit there that was horrible was that then that's when I started to feel so guilty, so ashamed. All I could think about was what I could have done with the money. And so then my only thought was, well, let's try and win it back as quickly as I possibly can. And then I started to lose, which is probably the reality. And of course, I then started to sort of feel those things even more. And it 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 put me in a situation where yeah, I I then kind of couldn't manage the emotions that came with it. And it, it it really did kind of then become unmanageable, um, both financially, but also mentally. I want to touch on this more later on in the conversation, but just to pick up on something you said there about how it all, there was almost no gap for thought until the money was gone. In With the insight that you now have, both as an ex-gambler, but also in the work you now currently do, is that a feature rather than a bug of the gambling industry that there is no room to think or stop or pause? Yeah, I think certainly the the kind of impulsivity um, is is a big problem. Um, the high frequency element of it. Um, we talk a lot now when we do work with the gambling industry to try and help them educate what might have helped us is about things like timeout. Um, when you have a big win, actually removing that, the kind of impulsivity um, to to do it again. And I certainly think with particularly things like casino games, um, that is is a real problem. Um, and if you if you don't have that moment where you kind of have a chance to think and step back and realize actually what's happened and the sum of money, it can go very, very quickly. Um, almost in in a blur and and we hear stories of of people doing that all the time Um, and so certainly I think more needs to be done to protect people in that moment Um, because ultimately as well from the industry's perspective there's a very good chance that they'd get the money back um, at some point anyway but I think the problem is they try and get it back as quickly as they possibly can during your time gambling did you ever happen to look over somebody's shoulder as they were say watching a race or on a fixed odd bang terminal and see in them behavior that you would happily um 
do yourself, but look at them and think, my God, that, that looks like a problem. And the reason I ask this is, you know, we all, we all sit here and say that everybody has a tech addiction and a phone problem and this and that. And when you see somebody from the outside looking in, if you were to sit on a bus or a train and watch somebody for half an hour on their phone, as they go from Twitter to Instagram, to Facebook, and they scroll and refresh and do all these things from the outside looking in, it looks it looks borderline insane, right? And yet we do the exact same behavior. And when it's uh, kind of one-on-one with the device, that reality fades out. Did you ever see that firsthand when looking over someone's shoulder in a bookmaker's? Yeah, absolutely. All the time. Um, And I thought, well, I'm not like that. I'm nothing like that. But actually, I was worse. Um, One of the things I remember more than anything else is is when I was actually in in a book bookies and i used to watch guys feed money cash into uh the roulette machines and i used to think oh my word sort of look at that guy look at that lady look how quickly they're losing their money and yet i would then sit there and lose it twice as quickly but it didn't feel as bad and it's it's strange because you almost wish that you'd said something to them and then they might have done the same to you but um yeah, it just doesn't cross your mind. Um, and and it goes back to that whole thing about almost thinking that, that you're bigger, better, or, or not sort of able to get yourself into the situation that other people, people were. So let's fast forward again. Tell me about taking yourself out of London and taking a teaching job to try and create a physical barrier between you and the gambling. Yeah, I decided to do something about it because I recognized and it was pretty obvious that I had I had lost control in a big way, that the environment that I was operating in was not conducive to what I was doing or, or to me. And I genuinely believe that if I changed my lifestyle drastically, it would get rid of the problem. I thought if I put, I labeled it all, I put it down to the environment rather than to myself and of course now I realized I had to change me not not the environment so I took a kind of drastic decision which was definitely the right thing at the time but to obviously give up the career that I had in the city to go and do something totally different there was also the motivation in the sense that my family were all teachers so I therefore in the back of my mind thought to myself well no one's going to question this in the world no one's going to think it's strange because his family do it so why why wouldn't he um and that helped um and yeah so i i took that decision and um of course long term short term it it did make a bit of a difference but long term it, it actually worked out a lot worse and so what changed between that short and long term? What was the moment where you, you'd stepped away from this previous lifestyle? You're now a teacher in a school and there must have been this kind of breathing room where you, I guess, hadn't gambled or at least hadn't gambled significant amounts. Was there a was there something that pulled you back in? Yeah, there were a couple of things, really. Obviously, I went through that initial period where I was adjusting to a completely new world. And, and I thought to myself, I, I, I need to sort of focus on that. But I also thought, well, this is my chance um, to do it. And then what changed was kind of a few months later when I was still doing it, but wasn't doing it all the time. And I thought, you know what, I've got this back under control. This is this is amazing. I'm OK again. I then kind of re-engaged with it. And then I, I won not as big a, 
I didn't have as big a win, but I still had a, a, a decent win. And that, again, was kind of that moment of, oh, OK. Uh, and also there was kind of some financial pressures and, and that hangover, if you like, from being in the city. I thought, well, maybe actually I could just get myself back to even, however you want to look at it, and then I'll get out. But actually, of course, it's that whole psyche. It's, oh, I've won again. Right, this is going to happen. And then the really big thing was um, I faced holidays, which to most teachers is one of the best things about being a teacher because you get nice long holidays. You've got a lot of time to yourself or with family and friends. But to me, holidays created a real problem because I was bored. Um, and one of my sort of coping mechanisms for boredom was to gamble because I could do it anytime, any place. Um, and that's when I started turn, turning back to it as a kind of day in, day out um, activity. Do you think the same mind frame, which at the time allowed you to believe that this bet will be different, this time I'll win, is the same mind frame that pulled you back to say, well, this time I'll be able to control it? Yeah, I think I think so. Um, I thought, well, if I've managed to not do it as much, then I'm not going to ever get to the point again that I was where it was it was kind of so stressful and and um, was doing it to, to such an extent. Um, and I thought, yeah, actually, exactly as you just said, it, this time it's going to be different. This time I am going to be really calculated around it. And if I win, I'm going to get out. And if I lose then I'm going to make sure that I step away and I'm not going to try and chase my losses all the time of course that lasted absolutely no time whatsoever um sadly and and I'd even said to myself at times I'm I'm not going to bet on this anymore that I previously did and and of course I did very quickly in those moments where you're you're trying to apply positive rationale to these situations to to get control of the gambling what are the kind of messages that are going through your mind when say i don't know for example you've won a fairly sizable amount of money and the the positive logic is telling you right well i've said that if i get to x amount i'm going to withdraw the money i'm going to keep my winnings whatever it might be what are the messages going through your head that are, that are i guess explicitly encouraging you to just keep going just keep going yeah it's it's quite hard to explain, but it was almost like no amount of money was ever enough for me because if I got to a certain point, there was always, well, actually, if I could get that bit more, it will allow me to do this or allow me to do that. So let's say, for instance, I knew that I had X amount of debt that I needed to pay off and I needed to get to £10,000. I would say to myself when I got to ten thousand pounds well actually now if I can get to twelve and a half thousand pounds then that two and a half thousand pounds can go on I don't know whatever an amazing holiday uh of course now I realized that the reality was it wasn't going to go on an amazing holiday it was just going to go on gambling but you were constantly able to justify to yourself that you needed a bit more and there was always a, a reason for having a bit more um and the other thing that I used to do, which again is really strange, is I used to actually at times, I used to withdraw money. But then I would justify redepositing by saying, well, I've got that money coming. So 
actually it was it was completely irrelevant um and one of the things of course that i used to do all the time was a, a function that actually not not many bookmakers you could do it with anymore but online i used to do this thing called a cancel withdrawal so i would withdraw the money thinking i was doing the right thing i would of course then lose anything that i had left and or left in my account and then i'd go back because it would take five days for it to clear and i cancel it and it would go straight back into my online account so actually whilst i justified to myself that i'd withdrawn some money no money ever hit my bank account so something i find interesting about your story on this um because it's i guess a a misconception that i had of those who have a gambling addiction is like i said a minute ago from the outside and it looks entirely irrational and it looks entirely self-destructive however in the work you've since done speaking to others do you think that you were alone in having these really viable reasons why you need to keep going because like i say from the outside looking in it looks really illogical but there are lots of layers of logic that you decided there if i get to this amount i pay off this debt if i get to this amount i'm out does that make sense how many others um allow real world levers to control what they do in the gambling space yeah i mean i think it's you never think anybody else is in that situation or doing what you're doing but actually there are an awful lot of people and um there's nothing funny about the conversations i have with with some other recovering gambling addicts but we compare our stories and we say oh i used to do this i used to do that and you used to feel so sort of strange and almost like alien doing it but yet you realize that actually that's what everybody who's in that situation is doing um but it's all it's all relative um but then at the same time it goes back to that whole thing of there's a refusal to accept how bad you are um or that you're as bad as as somebody else and um i think that's the one of the weirdest things about it is that you you just you just cannot comprehend that anybody else is doing what you're doing until you actually stop and then you connect with these people before you connected with others did you feel any compassion for yourself as you kind of stepped back and realized where things were going no none at all um i i mean at the height of my addiction i i hated myself um I hated the world I hated everything that that I was doing um I had no sympathy for myself whatsoever um but yet I didn't do anything about it and yet I carried on doing it it was almost like I was weirdly and almost sadistically kind of trying to sort of punish myself and and self-destruct to a level that I mean people talk a lot about self-harm and that comes in all sorts of of different forms and guises and actually that was probably an element of what I was doing was actually almost trying to punish myself and towards the end there was definitely an element it was you've got yourself into this mess I'm going to make it really bad for you and and that is so sad um and so strange but um at no point did I kind of look at myself and think well maybe you've got an illness here or maybe there's something wrong with you it was actually it's your fault um 
and it's too late. The damage is done. That's that's the expression I used to say to myself all the time was, oh, well, the damage is done, so you might as well keep going. And, and there's just no logic or rationale in that whatsoever. Given that we, we talk about gambling rightly as an addiction and we as a society understand other addictions in a far more compassionate way, whether it is drug use or alcoholism, looking back, do you think that any of this was your fault or do you think that you were pre-exposed to get sucked into a system that is designed to do exactly what it did? Yeah, I mean, it's something that I've obviously thought long and hard about um, that was discussed a lot in my treatment and, and rehab, if you like. Um, there's obviously a lot of theories that I've looked at and read about addiction. Are you born with it? Is it kind of established when you're very young? Is it to do with trauma, circumstance? I think it's a combination of all of those things, to be honest. Um, but for my own recovery, I take responsibility for what I did. I realized that actually it was me doing it in the initial stages. It was me making those decisions, doing the things that I was doing. I, of course, now understand that actually towards the end, I was suffering from an illness. I'd lost the ability to make a rational choice. I understand that there were organizations that could have done more to protect me and actually probably took advantage of somebody that was vulnerable. But my opinion is that there has to be an element of personal responsibility. Um, and of course, there needs to now be an understanding that a lot of, or some of the products are very addictive. They're designed to be that way, but we can't just take no personal responsibility for it whatsoever. Um, the type of person I am, I'm an addict. I'm not embarrassed to admit that is something that I've come to terms with and my addictive nature manifests itself in all sorts of weird and wonderful ways now, which I realize means that that's the way I am. But actually, I think the big thing for me is it's recognize, you can recognize that in your relationship with one of these addictive substances and behaviors very early and intervene at that point and stop doing it um, and I think that's where part of my motivation is to, is to help people understand that so was I destined to be a gambling addict possibly did I need to gamble or would I have been if I didn't gamble no um, that's the way I look at it and that's my own personal opinion it might be wrong um, but that's what helps me in, in my recovery. Um, and as I say, I think it's very easy to blame someone else or something else. But actually, the way I see it is that that probably played its part. But I can't just blame everything else because I think that's what would make me do it again. If I thought to myself, well, actually, it's not my fault. I've got this illness. I'm a gambling addict. It's whoever's fault therefore i'm just going to carry on doing it because i'm not i'm not to blame um and that's that's important for my own recovery that sense of accountability and taking personal responsibility for your actions which i'm sure is something which was massively beneficial in the sports world do you think that that is something that helped push you through your recovery 
in a more effective, in a more conclusive way, because you're used to taking responsibility, you're used to your actions having positive or negative consequences. And so this was almost the same game, just repackaged to, I guess, fix things rather than hinder things this time around. Yeah, I think so. I think it, it definitely, it definitely helped. And it was, for me, it was, well, you've, you've got this opportunity, you've got to grab it with both hands. Um, and you gotta you gotta make the most of it because there's no two ways about it. I look at I look at it as if I got given a second chance at life, which I did, um, and I could search for answers, which I understand why people do. I could try and think, well, actually, this might be the reason. That might be the reason, but ultimately, it's not going to change the past. Um, and as much as I would love to wave a magic wand and, and go back 13 years and have that time again, I can't. I can't change what's gone. I have to accept it. Um, I have to take ownership of it ultimately. But now all I can do is change what happens in front of me. Um, and so for me, I think there was a real kind of sportsman's mentality to to that element of it, which is that's gone. Um you can only change what's going forward and and that's probably really helped um and as i say i can understand why people do find it more difficult or they do try and sort of pin the responsibility on someone else but for me that just wouldn't have worked for my recovery so one of the most remarkable uh sections of the book sections of your story is uh, the teachers in the sorry the the parents in the school when you were a teacher and borrowing money from a number of individuals talk to me about uh, not only that element of the story because i think it's interesting in this wider piece but also the kind of mind frames that you're in um when approaching those conversations and when you're given the money does does that feel comparable to winning at gambling yeah, it's it's something that obviously people find really difficult to to believe um, that I ever did. Um, I think I I had access. I was surrounded by that. I had access to that. I had access to that information. And of course, what I did was I took advantage of of people. And that's not something that I'm proud of in any way. But it was out of desperation and. It was because I'd explored every other medium to get money that you possibly could. And for me, it was either, right, I either start committing crimes or I try this. And of course, then when it worked, it was like, oh, whoa, here we go. Um, this is this is a way to get more and more. Um, and did I care about these people? Of course I did. But by this point, I had an addiction and I was trying to feed it. Um, and you also weirdly became addicted, as you say, to that almost the feeling of when I would approach somebody for money, the feeling that if they said yes was a bit like winning a bet because that's what you're doing. You, you're taking a gamble by asking these people. You're putting reputation, profession, everything on the line. And, and so it was like that. And I almost became addicted to that in itself. And when I didn't have any money to gamble with, that's what kind of fed the addiction. Um, 
and at times people said no and would I stop and think well maybe there's a good reason why they said no absolutely not I'd just move on to the next one just like I'd move on to the next bet and how was your career at this point because of course the the central theme through this whole story is the gambling but I guess for at least a, a section of hours during the working day there was a job to be done uh, was was gambling on your mind the whole time or could you detach by you know talking to students or marking work or whatever teachers do it's been a while since I was in school but did those kind of menial tasks uh, that you almost do on autopilot after a certain amount of time take you away from it or was it always present I think probably the hardest thing to articulate in the book actually was the fact that I was a pretty successful teacher um, and to everybody else, I was kind of uh, this great teacher who parents liked, teachers, other colleagues respected, pupils loved. Uh, and I just became incredibly good at it. And I would, I always think to myself, well, how good a teacher could you have been if you weren't managing this full-time job of gambling alongside your full-time job of, of teaching? And of course, there were times where they would cross over, but I was almost kind of a bit of a machine in the sense that I would, when I needed to do something work-related, I would do it and I would get it done so quickly to allow me that time that I wanted to then gamble. Um, I think looking back towards the end, I realized that actually that probably did change and I started to do things and make decisions that... I shouldn't have done and and people probably did start to notice things that were oh well he wouldn't have used to have done that um but yeah it's it's extraordinary because I would do that but that was where this kind of double life I was basically an actor um I was living a lie my life was a lie and and so for to for sort of whilst I was teaching I would put on this facade which was exhausting but actually that was part of the addiction because it was all sort of well how long can I get away with this and and I knew at some point I was going to get found out I just didn't know when that was going to be and it was really hard to explain in in the book that people will read it and think well hold on a second how on earth did the school not notice that this guy was doing all this stuff it's because I was incredibly good at hiding it um, and I'd become a, almost like a master of disguise. Uh, and there were times where obviously most of the time I felt guilty about things and there were times where I'd feel really guilty because I'd be thinking, well, actually, I'm a complete fraud here. People are, are paying huge sums of money for me to teach their, their kids and I'm behaving like this. But that almost sort of fed my ego even more, which pains me to admit it, but is the truth. Not to stray too much into hypothetical here, but evidently you had a uh, a wanting for your pupils to have good outcomes, right? That is why you were so good at the job. Hypothetically, if you were in a classroom, in your uh, state of mind that you were back then, and you saw a student of maybe, I don't know, 16 years old gambling, what would you have said to them? Stop doing it. Um that's yeah again that's this whole kind of um catch 22 if you like the the weirdest thing about it is that 
I seem I would care an awful lot about other people, but I wouldn't care about myself. And it was the same if I if you'd put me in a situation where I'd known a friend who was in the situation that I would have I was in, I would have done something about it to young people. And I think throughout my time as a teacher, I think the one thing I can always say to myself is that I did really care about young people and I wanted the best for them. And I'd always put them first. I think where I probably dropped the ball in an awful lot of other ways is actually in some of the more menial things that you said teachers should be doing that I would compromise. Um, But yeah, absolutely. If I was talking to a young person and I saw them exhibiting some of the behaviours that I would have done, I would have acted on it. Um, I would have talked to them about it. Um, I guess that's why I I do it now. Um, But yeah it's it's really strange to think of that because you kind of it makes you very selfish uh, your addiction but you you lose kind of all self-love or self-respect during that time so in a minute i want to come on to what you do now because i think it's very important but there's a section in the book where you talk about the the 12 day period almost where the game was up where the gamble of all gambles had kind of stopped paying and your debts were catching up with you and the school had found out um if i just shut up for a minute can you tell the 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 12 days as you recall them yeah i think it got to the point where things had got really desperate and I I knew at some point as I said I was going to get found out I just didn't know when that was going to be and I'd exhausted every avenue you could possibly imagine to to get money I'd started to sort of say things do things that I probably shouldn't have done and essentially um one of the 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 people that I'd borrowed money off rightly for the first time questioned me in a way that was very directed and said, is it gambling? Um, And whilst people had mentioned it before, I'd been very quick to dismiss it and I'd got away with it. But this time it was, well, it was almost like they knew it was gambling. And as soon as that happened, I thought, okay, I've been found out here. Um, and you never really know how you're going to deal with that moment. And I panicked. Um, and the irony of a gambling addiction, I always say, is that the thing that has got you into it in the first place is the only thing you genuinely believe can get you out of it. No alcoholic ever tries to drink themselves sober. But as a gambling addict, I always believe that gambling would be the solution. And... It then became a matter of, okay, I realize and I accept that I'm there's going to be some consequences to what I've done and the, the, the secret's going to be revealed and ultimately I'm probably going to lose my job, which of course I cared about, but I thought I can get another job. Similarly with my house, I was living in school accommodation, so I knew that came with it and I thought, I'm probably going to lose my house. But again, I can find somewhere else to live. The two things that were highest on my agenda was one, am I going to go to prison? Which I believed I would do for some of the things that I'd done, but also the financial side of things that I owe an awful lot of people money and I owe it to them now. And so actually, if I can get rid of that, 
I can get rid of the kind of element of prison or charges that might come with it. Um, because if ultimately, if everybody's got their money back, we're okay. Um, and I, I did exactly that. I tried to gamble my way out of it by borrowing more money. Uh, it was the start of the Cheltenham Festival, the biggest horse racing festival in the world. And, and over the course of the four days, I gambled all day, every day. I won, I lost. I, I, I can never explain to anybody how stressful it was, what I was going through. And I had one extraordinary piece of luck. I won a life-changing sum of money, but actually it was meant nothing to me because now it was a matter of literally life and death. Um, and because time was running out, I decided to, for want of a better word, hedge my bets. Um, I put all the money that I'd earned over those few days uh, on one bet, on one horse race, um, the Cheltenham Gold Cup in 2018. And it was a case of if this horse wins, then I win that money back. And as I say, there's consequences, but they're not as bad as they could be. And, and if it doesn't, then I face the worst consequence. And that is, I'm going to kill myself, but that is better than having to tell people what I've been doing uh, and, and the way I've affected other people. And, and my horse came second by length, um, which at the time was um, the worst thing possible because my world came crashing down. Obviously, I realize now it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, but I thought I was faced with no option and, and I tried to go through with it. I tried to kill myself in in various different ways um i came pretty close um but fortunately something stopped me uh and i eventually reached out to my younger brother which was the best thing i ever did i don't think he'll ever know how close i was or the situation i was in because i think his reaction would have been very different um uh but actually that communication was the thing that saved my life because the turning point for me was it made me think about other people, not just myself. Um, and I realized that actually, whilst I thought this might be the best thing for me, what is it, what's going to be left behind? Um, not just for those people that love and care about me and are close to me, but what about everybody else that has been through this process with me? And, and I thought, you know what? I can't do it to everybody else. I didn't really care about myself. I thought I can't do it to myself, uh, to everybody else. So um, I decided not to throw myself in front of a train, which was which was what I was about to do, and and took myself home and and came clean. And I think that moment was so tough, um, but actually that was the moment where I could move forward in my life um, until I was prepared to put my hands up and say yep, my time's up. I have can't deal with this problem myself. I've tried it every way I possibly can. I can't. I need help. Um, and I want it. Um, until I was prepared to do that, it wasn't going to get any better. And from that moment on, it, it did get better. I mean, it wasn't solved immediately. And, and I always say to people now, you've got to reach out for help and you've got to ask people for for help and tell someone and, and people say well wh what happens then is it all solved absolutely not but it's the start of that and it's the hardest thing to do and once you do do that there is a way forward until that point there is no way forward there's no way out so 
12 years of gambling, 12 years of being an actor, as you said, how did it feel to have that release when you were finally just honest? Yeah, it's the biggest and best win I've ever had. Um, I always say to people when I was actually stood on the on the train platform, I stood there in floods of tears, people looking at me thinking, what on earth is wrong with this guy? I don't lie or exaggerate when I say to people it was probably the best feeling I've ever had because I just felt this kind of overwhelming sense of relief. Um, I'd finally told someone I had a problem I couldn't deal with myself and it, it there was this kind of calmness and serenity that just came across me that was was like nothing else and and of course I then very quickly thought about well what's next and what comes with it but that moment was 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 huge um and I thought to myself actually that's the toughest bit it, it it's going to be hard but it can't get harder than that um and and that's yeah certainly the way I look back at it now so we've spoken a lot about feelings of being ashamed and negativity and lying and deceit. But in the full picture from that first bet right the way through to recovery, what are you most proud of? I think the fact that I've been able to overcome it. Um, and that's not something that I've achieved yet because it's something that goes on, I, I believe, for forever and something that I'll deal with but the fact that I have been able to to bounce back and and find I guess the the belief that I can do this and that I can move forward and that it's not all going to be plain sailing and and easy but actually that life is sort of precious um and you got to make the most of it and you've got a second chance, all those things. So I think, yeah, what I'm most proud of is the fact that I, I found the courage to reach out um, and tell someone, of course, I wish I'd done it sooner. Um, but that's ultimately what I'm most proud of. I think now the big thing for me is I... I don't want to be remembered for being a gambling addict. Um, I think that will come with me and people say, well, hold on a second. You just written a book about it um, because of course it's my story, but actually what I'd rather be remembered for is, is kind of my recovery and my response to what I've been through. And that is not going to happen straight away, but ultimately if people do look back on it and think, well, do you know what? He went through that. But what is most amazing is the way he responded. Then nothing would make me prouder than that. And and I think for me as well, as kind of corny as it sounds, I let an awful lot of people down, um, particularly my family, people who really loved and cared about me. And, and I kind of feel like I owe it to them. Um, and I'm not perfect. I'm I'm far from it and I never will be. But if I can be a better version of myself, then ultimate and people are proud of me for that. Nothing else matters. An interesting thread throughout our conversation has been that lots of your decisions were actually quite selfless, right? Whether it was texting your brother and realizing that other people would be hurt, whether it was looking out for students when you were very good at the job, whatever it might be. Given that 
your life so far has now led you to a path where you're able to do the work you currently do and redirect potentially thousands of other people from going down the path that you went down, the path that you struggled with, given that you can only arrive here through the life that you've so far lived, would you have changed anything? Yeah, I'd change everything, um, but I can't. Um, and I can't, yeah, I can't change what's been. I can only, as I said earlier, I can only change the future. And I have to look at the positives. Um, and the biggest positive from the whole situation is that I'm a much better person for it. Um, I'm much stronger in different ways, but I'm much, I'm a much better person. And I actually, and it's, it's hard, it's a really hard thing to admit, but I actually look back at the person that I was. And whilst that's still me, I, I don't like that person as much as the person I am now. Um, and so would I change it? Yes. Could I have that back now? Yes, please. But actually, am I better for it? Yeah, I wouldn't wish it upon my worst enemy, but I have to take that as the biggest positive possible. Um, so, yeah, it's it's weird because you, you kind of feel better for it. But ultimately, um, I just wish, yeah, things have been been different. So I won't end with like a witty or a clever question. I want to end with something that I think is important, right? Because statistically, there's going to be somebody listening to this who is either in the early stages of something that could eventually turn into a gambling addiction and they see some of the signs that you spoke about in those early years, or indeed somebody who's living this double life that you've spoken about. And so I guess two questions to finish on for that one or those two people who are listening right now who are in that situation. Firstly, what would you tell somebody to do in order to start taking steps towards that eventual kind of outing of their story and recovery? And then also to to give those people the knowledge that they need to move forward. What does recovery actually look like tangibly? Yeah, in answer to the first question, it's be honest. Be honest with yourself, but be also honest with other people. Um, and tell the truth. Um, and be be true to yourself um, because actually that's what I wasn't I was I lied to other people I was a compulsive liar I lived a lie but ultimately I wasn't true to myself um, and I think that's my advice to anybody is is just be really really honest and sometimes you, you do have to have a long hard look at yourself in the mirror and you have to accept it but also realize that actually if you're not honest, it's very difficult to, to move forward. Um, in answer to your second question, um, I always say to people, talk, tell someone. Um, and that's coming from somebody who didn't tell anyone anything for 10 years. So it's easy for me to say in hindsight. But actually, when I, the the biggest change in my recovery was or, or the start of my recovery should I say was connecting to people um, I was very very fortunate in where I received the help that I did when I reached out to a lady called Mandy Saligari who was the lady who who was the clinical director of where I was treated 
it was the first time that I had spoken to a fellow addict and that connection, people often say that the opposite of addiction is connection. And and that was a life-changing moment for me because it made me realize that I'm not the only one. I'm not alone, but also that life is possible without whatever it is that you're doing. Um, and so in terms of what recovery looks like, for me, recovery is life without gambling. Um, it's not totally straightforward. Um, it has its challenges, but doesn't everybody's life have challenges? I'm just better equipped to to deal with them. Um, and I've got a lot of debt, but as soon as people feel sorry for myself, sorry for me, sorry, I've got more money than I've ever had because I'm not gambling. So it's a much more positive outlook on life. Recovery for me is 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 just such it's much more positive existence whereas everything about my life one way or another was very negative um before and and now it it's really sort of positive um and as i say it's it's not easy it takes a lot of hard work it, it has to be prioritized over and above everything else but it's so worth it um and did i ever think there was a way out absolutely not no chance um, but is there? Absolutely. Patrick, amazing. I've really enjoyed this. Um, your new book, Might Bite, The Secret Life of a Gambling Addict is out now. I'm going to make sure that there's a link in the show notes for anyone to go and get a copy if they want to. If people want to head to see uh, the work that you do right now and follow you online, where should they go? Yeah, the company that I work for, um, Epic Risk Management, um, who are a team of people that have been through similar things. And we use our experiences to to educate people to try and take the problem out of gambling and prevent people going down the route that we did. Um, you can type in uh, Epic Risk Management to to your search engine and, and find the website. Uh, in terms of me personally, um, I'm fairly active on social media. I'm at Patrick Foster 2 on Twitter, at Patch Foster on Instagram. And, and if anybody does want to speak to me about what they're going through or, or what somebody else might be, if you've listened to this, then then please do uh, reach out. Um, of course, uh, do buy the book. Uh, I hope you enjoy it, if enjoy the right word, but I hope it certainly um, gives you an, an interesting insight into what I went through. And um, yeah, if it helps one person, uh, then ultimately it'll be worth it. So yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Amazing. Thank you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.